The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist. This episode, we're doing something a little different and looking into the future of healthcare. But first, a bit about who you're listening to. I'm a technology journalist with 30 years experience this month. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books or seen me in The Guardian, Intelligent Sourcing Magazine and elsewhere. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or moderator of your technology event, do have a look and then get in touch with my agent whose details are of course on the site. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download from. It's where you make a show like this grow. So to our guest for the day, he is co-founder of Helix, a biochemical engineer and co-founder of the Cambridge Rare Disease Network. He's a UK-based entrepreneur who's doing something totally new with AI, that's artificial intelligence, in healthcare. His company, Helix, is on a mission to improve the lives of patients by matching drug treatments using the most comprehensive AI platform for rare disease, HealNet. The knowledge base will help more than a billion unique data points that connect disease, patients, and drugs. Now, the Helix team want to deploy their AI at scale and find cures for 100 rare diseases by 2025. The head of Helix is on the line now, and his name is Tim Gilliams. Hello, Tim. Hi, Guy. Hi, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us. Okay, now, I've got to be honest, I cut and paste that introduction. What does this actually mean in principle and practice? Tell us the basics of what you do. So what we do is actually really simple. We developed technology platform called HeNet, which acts as an incredibly precise rare disease telescope. Mm-hmm. So it screens automatically to the universe of scientific and clinical information, and then helps identify if there's any useful discoveries that could help find a treatment for a rare disease. And most people are actually not aware of this, but rare diseases is one of the biggest therapeutic unmet needs today. So you have about 7,000 rare diseases and 95% don't have an approved treatment. And in the UK only, it affects three and a half million people. And so that, that's the population size of Wales. And if you go globally, it affects 350 million people, which is the population size of the United States, and 95% don't have an approved treatment. Right, that's obviously a massive, massive problem that you're addressing, so thanks for clarifying that. Finding cures for 100 rare diseases by 2025, I'm not a medical person. How realistic is that? It's quite an, an ambitious goal, particularly with the traditional pharma model. So originally, it would typically take 10 to 15 years and 1.5 billion pounds to develop a new drug for a disease. If we were to do 100 of those, it would actually take us 150 billion pounds to try and do that. And that's with with the traditional pharma model that has about a 95% failure rate. However, today you can use novel technologies and redefine the drug discovery process so that you can do this at a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time. And we've done this already now multiple times. 
and we managed to get a drug ready for the clinic within 12 to 18 months and less than $100,000, which is a massive improvement compared to, to the traditional way. Okay, now I'm probably being a little slow on the uptake here, uh, not being a medical person, but the intro said that uh, you will, you match patients to the illnesses. Now that's exactly what doctors do. How, how does this differ? Or, you know, where is, where does the innovation come from? Doctors have been matching patients to illnesses, and that's correct. And the challenge that rare diseases have is that when you get your diagnosis, Usually, in 95% of the cases, there's actually no approved drug for the disease. So it typically takes five to seven years to already get the right diagnosis because most doctors only see a particular rare disease maybe once a year, maybe once every five years because it's rare. And then when the patient gets the diagnosis, there are no approved treatments. And then what the doctor does to the best of his or her uh, knowledge, try and find out what the symptoms are and prescribe a drug that uh, he knows could potentially help, but it's kind of hiddenness. And so what we're trying to do is to really look at all the existing treatments, all the scientific evidence so that we really take the guesswork out of treatment allocation and also look at how combination of drugs could be matched to a rare disease. Okay, so this all stems obviously from this new platform you make, the HealNet platform for rare diseases. So I'm just wondering if you can put this in context, what sort of platforms are out there now and why do we need this? Great question. So for rare diseases, unfortunately, there is no platform that exists at the moment. And the traditional pharma model made that it wasn't commercially viable to develop treatments for those rare diseases. And so as a result of that, you have about 350 million people who don't have an approved treatment today. And uh, HeNet was developed to address that problem. But in a different way. So we didn't want to, to do it in the same way that the traditional pharma model was operating. What we wanted to do is to kind of redefine the process so that you really get it in a much more effective, cheaper, and quick manner. And the, the quickest way of finding potential treatments for those rare disease patients is to actually look at all the existing treatments and their combinations. And so we've developed this platform to really help match those drugs to the rare diseases in a very effective way. And to the best of our knowledge, there isn't anything else available at the moment to do that. Right. I mean, if it's a matter of building up an, an AI platform, I'm not suggesting that's a trivial undertaking, but if it's a matter of building the artificial intelligence, why have well-resourced, massive, big pharma companies not already started doing this? Or perhaps uh, are you developing this with a view to selling to the big pharma companies? It's very difficult for large organizations to adapt to change and redefine their processes. So if, if you look at a, a large pharmaceutical you may have 60,000 people, millions if not billions of investment in 
facilities, in labs, in, in you know, processes. And suddenly what we're saying and other people are saying is actually, well, you have to flip that around. You have to be data-driven. You have to restructure your organization differently. But what do you do with the 60,000 people and, and the infrastructure that you've already developed? So I think it's actually very challenging for large companies to adapt to that. And so I do believe that it's the, the novel technology companies, maybe even the Googles, who will actually develop the next generation of treatments and precision medicine. So I think it's actually a very hard thing to do for large companies to, to adopt. Do you regard yourselves as a, uh, a software company or as a, uh, or a technology company rather, or as a medical company? Great question. So um, I think we're at the interface of medical and clinical research and then leading uh, technology because I think it, it's things now happening at, at those interfaces and AI and machine learning is kind of disrupting different markets at the moment. And this is now where the healthcare and drug discovery space is being disrupted. It's happening right now. So we really see ourselves actually as somewhere in the middle. You've got this heel net thing without the artificial intelligence. I imagine that's pretty much an inert list until the AI starts connecting it to the patients and the patient's records. Can you just give me an idea of what the role of the AI actually is in all this? Because I keep hearing this AI thing without anybody being terribly specific. So there, there are different ways of doing, of matching effectively drugs to diseases or drugs to patients. And you can use the term AI in an overarching term, and then you will have different types of algorithms. Some are supervised machine learning, unsupervised machine learning, some is with neural networks, and that's where you start calling it artificial intelligence. And what's very, I think, difficult to do is actually to build something called a knowledge graph. And a knowledge graph is actually a database, but of relationships. So let's say if you wanted to find the right drug for a disease, you would look at the disease symptoms, the disease mechanism, a potential druggable target, and then match that to the drug. And you can build this database of relationships who connects all those dots, also with genes, with pathways. And then from the known relationships, you use AI to predict novel relationships. And so what we're doing is effectively learning from all the known relationships and the common diseases, and then see if we can then use AI or machine learning to predict new discoveries and therapies for those rare and ultra rare diseases. Now you're obviously partway through this project. Uh, have you had any feedback from the medical establishment or the pharma companies? What's the take up in light so far? Take up has been very positive. We've validated the model now a couple of times. And like I mentioned before, if we're now able in 12 to 18 months, get a drug into the clinic and, and hundred thousand dollars, that's a massive improvement compared to the, the previous model. And what we're aiming to do now isn't, isn't to scale that. So we have about 10 projects ongoing at the moment, and we want to scale that to 100. 
And what's, I think, incredibly exciting for us and incredibly exciting to our other co-founder, David Brown. So he, he used to be the global head of drug discovery at Roche. And before that, when he was at Pfizer, he actually invented Viagra. So he, he has a name on the original patent. Okay, and, I'll leave the listeners to make the obvious comments that uh, are all springing to my mind and getting in the way of proper questions. <laughs> that's, that's fine, thank you. Uh, so take a point, I assume you're a UK company, I know that, but uh, I assume you're looking at the international picture. Are you going worldwide with this? Yes, so in the rare disease space, it is global. So most of our projects are actually already outside of the UK. We have UK projects as well, but where disease space is international because the patient communities connect together because they are, they are stronger together and, and more empowered together. And so we already work internationally and we have more projects outside of the UK than inside the UK. And I wanted to add to your previous comment was that basically David Brown, when, when, when he was global head of drug discovery at Roche, used to have 2,000 scientists and, you know, over a billion budget to do drug discovery. And now he has 20 techies doing machine learning and AI and $10 million. So it's really a big change and very, I think, exciting time for, for the Red disease patients because they can suddenly, you know, be empowered to sit in the driving seat. And what we're trying to do with Hillnet is really giving them the tools to help drive drug discovery forward, to put them in, in the driver's seat and help find treatments. And typically the patients and families who are driving that forward and the, the person who inspired us to set up Helix is a chap called Nick Siro who unfortunately has two children with an ultra-rare disease called black bone disease. I think there are less than 200 patients worldwide. And he, and he managed to identify a weed killer to help treat his children, save his children, who's now in phase three clinical trial. And it took him 10 years to do so. And what we're really trying to do is empower those communities to find the, the available treatments. I suppose the other thing that comes from the earlier part of your comment there is uh, if you're moving from uh, managing, say, 20,000 research scientists to 20 techies, that's a very different culture, isn't it? Now, obviously, your co-founder's coping okay, but as you grow, would you be offering management support and things like that to people having to make that cultural change? We are now going through a growth phase. Um, we're about 32 that's still small but will be 45 within six months and it is a challenge to have people transition from large pharma environment to lean startup where things go much quicker and are very different and most people have been able to do this transition well but yes it will require some coaching and good management to really blend those two worlds together. Okay, final question, really. Thank you very much for your time. Where can listeners find out more about you? You could go online and put HealX in Google. So that's spelled H-E-A-L-X. And our website is HealX.io. 
Tim Gilliams, founder of Helix. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. And many thanks to all of you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. We'll be back on the 1st of February. February already? See you then. Thank you. Thank you.